grace, your forgiveness, and your unconditional love. We just praise you for who you are. You created the heavens and the earth, but yet you desire to know each one of us. And we know you hear our prayers. And we just want to lift up Laura, our speaker, to you before she comes, God. We just thank you for the call that you placed on her life to share your word and its truths and just to share with women. God, we just pray that you you meet any physical needs that she has before she comes. And God, that we just pray that you fill her with boldness and clarity and grace just as you deliver the word that you've given her for us. And God, in the for us, we just ask that you, you open our ears so that we can hear your voice through her and that you open our hearts so that we can hear your message of love. And Father, all these things we pray and we ask in the name of your precious son, Jesus. Amen. All right, ladies, I'm so excited to be introducing our speaker tonight. Um, for those of you who were at the ladies' retreat back in January, she was our speaker then, Laura Seifert. Um, and she was so amazing. I mean, everyone was like, oh, my gosh, this was the best retreat because our speaker was so good. Um, so I was thrilled that she agreed to um, come back and be with us tonight. Um, so Laura Seifert's been in ministry almost 20 years. Um, she... Um, has a passion for teaching women about the Lord and about the truths that you can find in God's Word. Uh, she's the founder of Yes Ministries, um, which is a discipleship ministry for women. She teaches Bible studies around Houston, and she also enjoys speaking at events like this and ladies' retreats and different things like that. Uh, and um, uh, she's married to a wonderful husband named Jason, and he is the associate pastor at their church, which is um, Antioch Community Church down in Friendswood, so she's not too far away from us. And they enjoy spending time with both of their children, Ben and Beth, and her, their daughter is with her tonight. Um, and then um, Laura has also written several books, and she has one of them that will be available. Um, I'm sure some of you, several of you saw outside on the table. Um, but I'm really excited to have Laura with us tonight and to hear what um, the Lord has placed on her heart to share with us. So thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Christy. This mic pack is pulling my pants down so you might see my spanks. So <clears throat> just ignore that, Justin. Um, I'm so glad. Thank you, Christy. She said, just send me your bio and, or anything you want me to say. And I thought, this is my chance to have been the supermodel or a runway model or an Olympian or something. But I didn't lie. Actually, my husband wrote that bio when, you say, when she says she's married to a wonderful man, Jason. I always laugh because <laughs> he wrote that. Um, I'm so grateful to be here. I'm Laura Seifert. And she did mention I have a book table out there. And this book is it's on forgiveness, which... When you see that, you're like, I can't wait to cozy up next to a fire with that topic. <laughs> but it really is the book that keeps on giving. It really is a helpful. So I want to give this to somebody here tonight who is racked with bitterness and really, no, I'm just <laughs> Who is deeply angry? It's Myrna who left and didn't even get her thing. <laughs> now, who drove more than 20 miles to get here? Come on down, sister. Come get this book. You're, get, you're taking this book home. So where did you come from? Where did you drive from? Humble. Oh, that's farther than me, I think. How many miles was that? Oh, girl. All right, I'm going to pray you stay awake then tonight. 
All right, I am thrilled to be here. Like like Christy said, I'm Laura Seifert. I came in January and spoke at your women's retreat, and I fell in love with you people. I really honestly did. It was a season in my life where I found that I was kind of just in a rough spot spiritually, and I remember driving up here thinking, Lord, I don't even know. I, I just felt I was just in a really hard season, and the Lord lifted my soul here with you. We were actually at Westview campus uh, as much as anything, and it was such a gift, and I just, I fell in love with all of you, particularly Jean, though, and we ended up having coffee after, and I just have adored you, and so I'm really grateful that you're leading um, such a powerful ministry here, and it's an honor to be back. So anyway, we are full-blown in the Christmas season. I won't say holiday, uh, Christmas season, because we are in church. I agree with that. Um, But how many of you are already listening to Christmas? Who has your tree up? Let's just out you right now. You do. Oh my gosh. I don't know. I don't know how to feel about that. I don't know if I'm in awe or if I'm appalled. I don't really know. Yeah, be appalled. But if you walk into May, I mean, you are just, we're hit with the Christmas music already. We really were in October. But I want to ask you a question. How many of you, like, if you had to say your favorite Christmas carol, what would you say? Just shout it out to me. What do you love? What? I know, it's mine. What are some others? Okay, oh, come all you faithful. I love it. Let me ask you this. If you would be quite all right not to hear a particular Christmas song again, what would that be? Baby's Call. I love that one. You're done with it. What about um, I Saw Mommy Rocking Around the Christmas Tree? That's painful after a while. And you know why? Because the chipmunks did it in a song and they've ruined it. And they also, there was another one. um, I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus. Uh, Whatever. I don't want to hear that ever again. But I say that because it's interesting. My husband is a pastor, um, but he started as a worship pastor. And for 20 years, he led worship at, we were at a few different churches. And every Christmas, he would sing, Oh, Holy Night. And I love it. And I've grieved because he's a pastor and he doesn't sing it as much anymore, but he really has the most beautiful voice ever, in my opinion. And every time he would sing it, I would just get lost in his voice. And I really didn't pay close attention to the words, to be quite honest with you. Fall on your knees is what I would kind of, you know, tune into. And a few years back, I, I guess the words were on a screen or I was studying the words and I was stopped in my tracks with the words. And I just want to read you what struck me about this song because this, this carol, because it really is my favorite too. Um, It starts, it says, long lay the world in sin and error pining. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. And when I heard that, I wept. And now when I hear the song sung, it just has new meaning for me because I relate to that. And I wonder if you can relate to those words too. You know, we start the holiday season, really we push it back and we start in October now. We're going to start when school starts, they're going to start putting up Christmas trees But when we enter into the holiday season, if you're like me, I typically get really excited because I think, ah, I love the holidays. I love the, uh, the fun and the ideas of buying gifts and the shopping. And that lasts for a little while. 
And then usually, even before we're past Christmas, by the time I roll into it, I'm so tired that I already feel like I have a holiday hangover. And it just doesn't, somehow the hub and the frenzied of it all wears me out. And it's, it's almost like your high school prom. You know, you get so excited about it. And then when you show up, it's like, really? This is it. And so every holiday season, when I move into this holiday season, I think I'm not going to get wound up in the frenzy of it all. I'm really going to pay attention to what it means. And I mean, that's not a, you, you need to, you know, Jesus is the reason for the season. That's true. But sometimes that feels like a finger in my face. And that's not what I mean. But it is important because I think for a lot of us, when we walk into the holiday season, some of us dread it. And maybe we don't dread it every year, but some of us dread it this year because this is a hard year. And maybe we've lost someone or maybe we've lost something or maybe we just walk in and go, oh, I just don't feel the way I think I'm supposed to feel. Maybe I'm sad or maybe I'm just in a, in a hard place. And so when I read that long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth, I think that's really what Christmas is about. And so I want to share with you just a passage of scripture that I've been marinating in for the past month that has ministered to my soul, and I'm praying that it does all of us tonight. And it's Isaiah chapter 9, and you will probably be familiar, some of us will be familiar with this, um, but regardless, if you've heard it before or you never have heard it, I want you to kind of come to it with fresh ears and just let the Lord speak to you. We start in Isaiah chapter 9, and we start in verse 1. And it's interesting because this line just kind of gutted me when I read it. And I thought, somebody here tonight just needs to hear this line in Scripture. Starts and it says, nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. That time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes... My life itself is going along okay, but I just turn on the news and I just get a pit in my stomach because I feel like every year the world gets darker. I grieve that my kids are growing up with social media access in a way that we, wouldn't, we didn't even know about. I'm meeting with a family tomorrow whose 12-year-old daughter's been involved in a trafficking scheme and we're praying tomorrow, right? And so you just... In, our world is harder to live in than it was when I was growing up. It just is. And so when I read that, I thought, that's for all of us. Our time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. This was spoken to the Israelites who were scattered. They were far from God. They were on the northern side of um, the northern side of Judah, and they were, when they were living there, the Assyrians were about to attack them. And so circumstantially, they were in a bad way, but also spiritually, they were in a bad way. They were in darkness. They were not connected to God. And you might find yourself entering this holiday season, and your circumstances are hard. Or maybe you look at your life, and everything seems to be going okay, but there's something not right in your soul. Emotionally and spiritually, you feel off kilter. If so, then you can relate to this passage. You know, I read this quote, and it really spoke to me. It says, suffering is a reminder that this world is not the way it's supposed to be. It's just not. This isn't our home. This is a temporary dwelling place until we get home with Jesus face to face. And so while we live here, Jesus promises us that in this world you will have suffering. But take heart. And so as the passage goes... 
it continues to say in verse 2, it says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. They will see a great light. It says, For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You, God, will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, like warriors dividing the plunder. Why? Because you will break their yoke of slavery and you will lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod. Some of us feel oppressed tonight. Just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned and they will be fuel for the fire. So the prophet is promising us there's a new day dawning. Your despair and your darkness will not last forever. And here's what's going to happen. Your oppression will be broken and it will be lifted. You will sing again like you're at a harvest. And so these are big promises that are being made to the people of God. And so when you read that, you might think, but how? How is that going to happen, Lord? When will that happen, and how will that happen? And he tells us in verse 6, and this is a verse that we hang our hat on. This is why we celebrate Christmas. It says, why? Because for a, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. So the why and the how is, is wrapped up in one name, and it's Jesus. How will the oppression be broken? When will the grief subside? When will the darkness lift? Jesus. Jesus lifts it. When Jesus comes, he lifts it. And it says the government will rest on his shoulders. The government will rest on his shoulders. What does that mean? That means all authority is given to him. And it will rest on his shoulders. And so what I want to do is unpack the very next words and descriptions because this is the gift that we've all been given this Christmas and every Christmas to come and every Christmas in the past. The government will rest on his shoulders. And it says this, for his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And I'm going to unpack those four names. But when it says the government will rest on his shoulders, it means he's been given all authority. And so what does that government look like? Any government looks like the king. It looks like the leader of the government. So what does this king look like? And so I want us to look at what this actually means in Scripture. It looks like these four things. Wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselor. See, in our day and age, y'all, life is just hard. And I think I would do a disservice to you and to me to come up and talk about, um, or to pretend like it's not hard. To pretend as though it's not hard. Because life just is hard. And sometimes when you enter into the holidays, that difficulty becomes magnified. Because there's a newfound pressure that I've got to experience this elation and this joy, and sometimes we just don't feel that way. But this I can hang my hat on is that Jesus is a wonderful counselor. And so when life gets hard, I'm not alone. And he's not just a counselor that's here to counsel me and to guide me, but he's wonderful. He's wonderful. 
I don't know if you've ever sought counseling. I certainly have, and it's been helpful. But there have been times when I've sat in a counselor's office, and he or she's just looked at me like this. I'm like, well, nothing seems very wonderful about this. And so sometimes when you view the Lord in your mind, what's the face you see looking back at you? Is he looking at you with wonder? Is he, is he wonderful in your own eyes? Is he looking at you with great delight? That's true, he is. Do you see that, though? He's a wonderful counselor. And oftentimes, we can get really tripped up when we have an expectation that God needs to make my world right, right now. And I certainly have felt that way. I've certainly thought, why can't you come and fix this and change this and make this better now? I've prayed for healing and you didn't bring healing. I've prayed for restoration here and you didn't bring it here. So help me understand what wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. How do I see that government lived out today when I'm in a battlefield called earth? How do I see that lived out, Lord? And I'll tell you how I'm seeing it lived out. Sometimes my circumstances don't change but I sense the counsel I need just at the right time. My sweet friend whose daughter's in trouble, like I just mentioned before with this trafficking thing, she's safe and in a good place now. She's getting the care she needed. But I'm telling you, her whole world fell apart last week. And I made an emergency trip to her house out of town. And we needed a wonderful counselor. We needed to know, what do we do next? Lord, what do we know when everything is so foggy and we don't even know, can't see straight? And I can tell you in the last seven days, the Lord has counseled my friend in ways that it could only be from God. He has opened doors and cleared the pathway and said, this is where she will go. This is where you will take her. She's texting me on, on the way to this facility. And she's like, I don't even know really what to say. And I was like, you don't have to know what to say. The wonderful counselor will give you what you need in just the right moment. And he did. He's a wonderful counselor. And so this week, in the midst of all of that pain, I got to see the government lived out here on earth, resting on the, counselors of the, one, the shoulders of the wonderful counselor, giving this sweet mother everything that she needed in just the right time. It's not all fixed, and it's not all better, but she's not alone, and she's been given the counsel she needs. I know there have been dark seasons in my life. And the Lord has just shown up with just a sweet word, maybe a call from a friend or maybe a song that I played. Just something where I know in my spirit that's from him and it's lifted my spirit or it's given me the insight that I needed. Have you experienced the Savior that way? He is that and he doesn't have favorites, so he wants you to experience him that way too. And what I love about the Lord is he always speaks in our own heart language. Even when we read the word, I can read the same passage that you're reading and it speaks to me differently because the Holy Spirit knows exactly what I need in that moment. In that moment. He's a wonderful counselor. I read this quote and I think I wrote it sometimes on my phone when something comes to me, I'll just do an audio recording and I go back or I'll, you know, it'll uh, like a voice command. And I found this on my phone and if I didn't write it, I don't know who, I'm just going to take credit for it. But it says, when our hearts feel desperate and when we feel alone and when we're tempted to let the difficulties of life lead us to believe that God has forsaken us, 
We have to keep our mind focused on what the Holy Spirit whispers, not on what our flesh screams. Right? So when the darkness crowds in and the difficulties overwhelm us and it's so tempting, your flesh is screaming, this isn't right, I feel lost, I feel left, I feel abandoned, we must focus on what the Spirit whispers. And all throughout Scripture, you'll see that God, uh, when Elijah was at his wit's end and the Lord said, come, let's take a little walk for a while. Now come out to this cave and I'm going to speak to you. And Elijah's looking for him and this big wind comes by, but it says God wasn't in the wind. This fierce storm comes and he's not in that. It says, but he was in the gentle whisper. That's when the Lord spoke. And so for you and for me, when we want to experience the wonderful counselor, we've got to press in. We've got to scoot some things out, and we've got to press in, and we've got to listen. And it's almost like putting your ear to his chest. Lord, speak to me today. And he's faithful, and he'll do it. He's a wonderful counselor. He's also a mighty God. He's all-powerful. He's been given all authority. When have you experienced the power of God in your life? When have you experienced maybe a power in your own life to do something that you never thought you could do? A sustaining power to do what you couldn't do on your own. I have a, a sweet and precious friend. She's one of my dearest friends. She's 33 and she's got ALS. And she can't speak anymore. But she's experiencing the mighty power of God in a way that she did not know before this. And I'm asking for God to heal her. But I'm telling you, she can text and she texts me wisdom well beyond her years. And she will tell you and she will tell me. She experiences the sustaining power of the Savior in a way that she, it's hard for her to even describe with words. It's incredible. She's in a power wheelchair and you should see her rule the roost of her family, man. She just looks at her kids and I'm telling you, it's amazing and it's the powerful hand of God in her life. And she'll tell you that. She texted me that today. He's an everlasting father. That means he's never ending. There wasn't a beginning and there's not an ending. And he's your father. Now some of us may have a difficult relationship with our earthly father. We didn't have a relationship with our earthly father. But, but that's a hard connection to make. Others of us, that's an easy jump everlasting father but when you hear the word father describe that in your mind of what you want that to be if if you're like me I want it to be safe arms I want it to be comfort I want it to be steady I want it to be protecting arms everlasting father someone that just sees me for everything that I am and just loves me no matter what unconditional love it's everything you need and want it to be and so much more than you could ever think or ask for. And it's all wrapped up in everlasting Father. He's known you before he knit you together in your mother's womb. And all the days were ordained for you before one of them have come to be. He stores up every single tear in a jar that you've ever shed. He knows every hair that's numbered on your head. Every single one. And that's not just sentiment. That's the truth. The scripture tells us it's the truth. This is an intimate Father acquainted with all of our ways. You're not alone, and I'm not alone. He's an everlasting father. Uh, yes, ministry is the ministry I lead. We 
partner with a ministry called Africa New Life in Rwanda. And we've gone the last two summers to Rwanda. And this past summer, my whole family got to come with me. So Ben and Beth and my husband, Jason. And one of the things we do, we sponsor children there and we help them get educated and we help them get food and what they need. But what will happen oftentimes is that when a family is destitute, the practice is typically the men just hightail it out. They just leave and they go to a neighboring country and they don't return. And so the women are uneducated and they cannot sustain themselves or their children. And so one of the things African New Life does is they uh, created cosmetology school and a sewing school for these women. And many of these women were, uh, walk multiple miles to get there. And they take 35 women in the morning and 35 women in the evening. And it costs $25 to put a woman through uh, 11 months of this school. And so we did that, of course. And we're down there, and I'm teaching a class in the morning, and I'm teaching a class at night with these women. And you walk in this room about the size of the width of that keyboard, and 35 women are crammed in there with sewing machines, and they're trying to learn how to sew. And they're just sweaty, and they're hot, and they're tired. And I was going to teach them, and I thought, I'm sure the last thing they're excited about is this white woman walking in here and just teaching them something. They're probably like, can we just learn our, how to thread the needle so we can go on home? But I walked in and I thought, Lord, what is it that you would want them to know? Would you give me insight into what they want to know? And I kept sensing the Holy Spirit say to me, a father's blessing. Let them know that I'm an everlasting father in their life. And many of these are genocide babies. When the genocide happened in 94, many of them were just babies are born after and they grew up in their fathers. They didn't have, either their fathers had died in that or they didn't have fathers. And so they didn't have any concept of their heavenly father being an everlasting father. And so we stood there and I began to teach. And when I was done, my husband was along just because he wanted to support me and he wanted to support the ministry, but he was going to take a back seat and just kind of be in a support role. And Jason is not one to grab the spotlight or the mic. And we were leaving. And he said, Laura, could I just, could I just have a minute with him? And I was like, yeah, you can have as many minutes as you want. And so Jason walks back in and he prays a father's blessing over these women. And he says, you haven't had a father, but I'm going to pray a father's blessing. Because you see throughout scripture, when the patriarch died, he would pray a father's blessing over his children. And so Jason did that. And then after he sang, his eyes on the sparrow, it's still, I could go to the ugly cry just thinking about it. But these women, to watch them, it was something that all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just began to move and they just began to believe it to be true. That there's an everlasting father that loves them, that sees them, that has not abandoned them. Their life has been wretched and hard. And the Lord has sustained them. And he's for them. And he's going to continue to care for them. And one woman got up and said, can I testify? And she came up and they translated for her and she was just weeping. She said, not only have I never received a father's blessing, I didn't know I needed it until just now. That's our God. That's the government in action on earth until we see it in reality. We get to see the government resting on his shoulders through things like that. He's an everlasting father. He's that same everlasting father 
to you that he is to me that he is to those beautiful women in Rwanda. He's an everlasting father. And then he's the prince of peace. And when you really look at the word peace and prince of peace, it really means prince of wholeness. Prince of wholeness. Prince of restoration. You see, when, when you see our governments, what we see with our earthly eyes, our government here and other governments, normally you see them run by, run by power-hungry men that want to grab the control. And the more they become in power, the more servants they have. And you see, Jesus is, his kingdom is flipped up on its head right there. Because Jesus comes in with all authority, and yet he washes his disciples' feet. Jesus comes in and he looks at women and dignifies them in a way that they've never been treated like that before. Jesus flips it on his head. I saw this in action a few, um, a couple years back. My neighbors across the street have what seems like 40 kids already. They have um, seven, seven kids already and felt the need that they wanted to open their hearts for more, which I bow down. I'm like, my goodness. They're amazing people. They love the Lord. She homeschools them all. It's just crazy. And I say that in a self-deprecating way because I'm like, I don't even, I, I can't even hardly get my two bathed. And so she and her husband began praying and they sensed God wanting to open their heart to more. Lord, what is it that you're saying to us? We feel like there's more. And so they literally filled out the paperwork for foster care system in our country. They got approved. And I'm not kidding you, like a week later, it was one or two weeks before Christmas, and they got a call, and they said, we've got two boys. They're biological brothers, and they're three and two, and their parents are crack addicts, and they don't want them. Can you take them? And they took these boys in, and I kid you not, these boys walked in, and their belongings were in a paper bag. It's all they knew. They had seen violence. They had seen um, God only knows what. And they walk in to this family, and get to experience Christmas with the Sapaws, which I dream about. And they get to experience Christmas with this family. And they've since been adopted by this family. And I see these little boys running up and down my street on their scooters. They're just a hot mess all over the place. And the, the reason I say that is because they're just so full of life. When we first met them, they wouldn't speak. They would hardly look at you. They were so fearful. And the Prince of Peace has come in and said, you will not be an orphan. He is the father to the fatherless. And he said, my plans for you will not be thwarted by the enemy. And there is a lily white family over here in the suburbs that are going to take these beautiful African-American boys in and meld this family because the Prince of Peace is colorblind and it is a beautiful sight. And these boys are live. They've hit the jackpot. And if you talk to the parents, they're like, we've hit the jackpot. Because the prince of peace is a prince of wholeness. And so if you and I are looking for a savior to come in and just start wheeling a sword and knocking everybody out that's in our way and making everything right the way we want it and removing our suffering, it ain't going to happen here. In this world, we will have suffering. 
People die too early. Disease happens. Divorce happens. Relationships don't get restored. But nevertheless, while we walk through this battlefield called earth, we do not walk alone. And we have a Savior that has redeemed the world and says, take heart. This is not your home, and it will not be this way forever. Hang on. Do not lose your faith, girls. Because here's what the enemy's after. It's your jugular, and your jugular is different than mine. But that jugular, whatever it is that will take you out, your Achilles or your jugular, it's the thing that he's after because that's the thing that will knock your faith off. Right? And so you think, if I surrendered my life to Christ, if I really believe him, if I really take him at his word and trust him, what's going to happen to me? What's he going to ask of me? And here's what I'm here to say to you and to say to me. There are days that are so difficult. There are days where I think, Lord, if I don't see my beautiful friend with ALS healed this side of heaven, I don't know what I'm going to do. There are times when I think, Lord, I can't even watch the news. There are times, whatever it is, we must um, feel the freedom to say when it's hard. A good Christian is not someone that says, oh, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. God is good all the time. God is good. And that is true, but God does not need me to defend him. He does not need me to paint on a happy face. He needs me to believe him. He needs me to believe him. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. He doesn't need my um, sacrifice of like, I'm going to praise you even though I don't really mean it. He's like, no, 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 no. Let's go back inside and go to the ugly cry, Laura, and let's get really authentic and real with each other. And you come to me, all the snotty tears and all, and you get in my presence and let me show you who I am. I am a wonderful counselor. I am a mighty God. I'm an everlasting Father, and I am your Prince of Peace, and I'm going to make you whole. But you've got to get honest with me, and that is the gift of Christmas. That is why we celebrate. That is why we grieve with hope. We don't grieve like those with no hope. And so I, I come at you, and I, and, and I apologize that this might not be a really uplifting message, but I believe it's what God needs us to hear tonight. Because as we move into the Christmas season, there are some of us in the room that are struggling with depression. There are some of us in the room that are are rattled with anxiety. There are some of us whose marriages are barely hanging on. There are some of us who have loved ones that are battling illness and it doesn't seem to get better. And you think, oh man, could we just get to January? Because I don't know if I can fake it for 60 days. And I want us to all take a deep breath and say, you know, we don't have to. We can call it what it is. It's hard. It's a struggle. It's difficult. Whatever. But, Lord, you show up in it all, and you always do, and you are faithful. You see us through. So, Lord, be wonderful counselor to me. Open my eyes so that I can see it, Lord. Don't let me miss it. Lord, show me your power. Show me your power in a way that is undeniable. And don't let me dictate what that power should look like. You just show me your power, and I'm going to believe it when I see it. I'm going to trust it is what I mean by that. 
And Lord, you remind me when I feel alone and I feel like nobody gets me or sees me or it's just too hard. Lord, remind me that you're my everlasting father. You never leave me. You will never forsake me. Scripture says, even if your parents forsake you, I will never forsake you. And Lord, restore me back to wholeness. Lord, be my prince of peace, Lord. Give me peace that passes understanding. And he is faithful, faithful. That's what a government resting on our king's shoulders look like. And that is worthy of celebration. Boy, I'm telling you, I can praise with tears rolling down my face when I fix my eyes on the real gift of the season, and that is Jesus. And I know he came for me. He came for me. He's good. He is faithful, and he is worthy of our trust. I read this quote, too, that I thought was really helpful. It says, so indeed the government is alive and working. It's often silent and mostly unseen. We can be and are by choice governed by God. Hope and joy and peace and rest cover its subjects. Justice, mercy, grace amazingly coexist. I like this kingdom. The borders are open, so come on in. So I don't know where you find yourself spiritually tonight. Some of us have possibly been in relationship with the Lord and known Jesus as our Savior and have walked with him for a lot of years. Others of you got invited by a friend and you just really wanted the door prize and you're wondering when this is all going to be over and that's okay too. <laughs> Come on in. But what I want to challenge all of us to do this season, and would you look at Jesus in the face for a fresh time? Would you look at him maybe for the first time, but especially in a fresh way and say, Lord, make this Christmas different for me. When Jesus started his ministry in Matthew, he is quoted, Isaiah 9 is quoted prophetically. And Jesus starts his ministry. It's so beautiful. And says, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. Matthew chapter 4, verse 16. And for those who lived in the land where death casts its shadow, that's our land, girls, a light has shined. And from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. No better gift than the Savior of the world. And he has come for you and he's come for me. And that sweet friend of mine with her little girl struggling right now, he's coming for her. He's coming for my friend with ALS. He came for those two boys that got adopted. He's coming for you. And so would you open your arms to him this Christmas and receive the true gift, what Christmas is all about. Let me pray for us and we'll be dismissed. Jesus, we love you tonight. Even if our hearts don't feel that or we're not sure what that means, I know our souls were made to love you. We are at peace and joy when we are smack dab in the middle of your will. And so, God, I just ask that you would come in a powerful way and present yourself to us as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Would you present yourself to us 
in ways that are undeniable this holiday season, Lord. And we, in turn, will say yes to you and believe you. You are a good God. You are worthy of our trust. And I know the day is coming when there will be no more tears and peace will be second nature. And this striving will cease and our darkness and despair will end. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, ladies. Oh, my goodness. Um, I just love Laura. <laughs> I love to hear her um, talk. Um, I so needed this.